friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Hope everyone's having a, a delightful day today between... Uh, I guess we have to really enjoy our time between rainfall. Yes, we do. The secret to everything. So I know we've been getting it pretty steady here. That one of the good things is are the female, the buffalo gnats or turkey gnats, and the farther north I go, the more they're called black flies. But the females bite chunks from my skin, and then they feed on the blood, and they punch above their weight. They cause intense reactions and painful itching. And the end of May and early June is prime time, although you can get them other times. But that's the prime time each year for these insects that breed in moving water. And I feel privileged to see most things. I'm happy I can see gnats, but I'm never happy to see them. And their numbers have certainly diminished some. Although, boy, I still have them when I go for walks. There's an area where I still find them there, so I have to battle with them a little bit. But I guess one of the good things is we don't have so many of them anymore, which is uh, is really a nice thing. I, they're, you know, you try to... Somebody asked me the other day, they said, uh, what are mosquitoes good for? And I fall back on, you know, there are things that eat them and their feed. But then as I walked away, I got to thinking, you know, they're good for these small things, but, boy, they're bad for a lot of things. So it's getting harder and harder to defend uh, certain things like chiggers, ticks, and mosquitoes, and maybe buffalo gnats. Unless they're, unless they're somebody's lunch. So all those other things out there that have them for lunch are saying, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, that's what I eat. Leave them alone. <laughs> but it just gets, you know, we all have, we all have uh, that, that friend who's uh, just the way he is, and everybody says, well, that's the way he is. And <laughs> some days it's hard to defend him. You just say, well, I'm sure he didn't mean it when he said that. And then you think later, well, I, I bet he did mean that, because that's why, and it's just hard to... Hard to defend uh, mosquitoes someday. Speaking of I bugs, heard, uh, did you see the yeah. picture I sent you of a jar full of bugs? Yeah, from Rich from Ang- sent a uh, oh, a pint what's full. That called? He said it's a pint full, and we were talking last week about those mosquito bug fans traps where they, I guess, they kind of blow or they suck them in and and in some sort of a container and. He showed, he just got it last week, and Rich said that this is how many he got, and, and he sent this pint jar full of all these light, fluffy bugs and wanted me to share it with you. So you saw them, right? I sure did. It it's, looks like a mason jar that uh, Grandma had been pickled mosquitoes or something <laughs> instead of uh, cucumbers. So, yeah, it, uh, it, it what. I, I was trying to think of what the name was, and I couldn't think of what the name of it was. The memory failed me there. But, you know, it, it appears to be working for rich, so that's a great thing. And uh, anytime we can make somebody happy or make someone's life a little bit better with a simple thing. But, yeah, he's got this full jar of But what of I didn't, what we don't know, Al, is how many were there. I mean, if if this is a little example of maybe millions and zillions more, Maybe it's really not that many. So I would like Rich to say, does he feel like it made a difference? I think we can see that there's lots of bugs in the jar, but does he feel like it made a difference when he was using in the area in which he was seated, for example? That's an excellent point. And before I forget, too, talking about last week, we were talking about bee houses, good or bad. 
One thing I, I didn't mention and that I wanted to mention is I see a lot of them, and the bees are using them, so there's one of these things I really use, but do downy woodpeckers and chickadees find them? These guys are really good at uh, when we see the the galls on goldenrod. We'll see it in the fall and in the winter. Downy woodpeckers and chickadees will come up and hammer on those, and they'll find the larva in there and eat it. So I'm wondering how long before they discover the bee houses maybe are a good thing to eat. And if anybody's had that experience, I'd love to hear from you. And Karen, you also sent me something about biting midge info, how to stop noceum insects. I don't know anything about miting, biting midges or miting bidges, either one. Uh, <laughs> are they noceums? We... Are they the same thing as noceums? Noceums are those little minute pirate bugs. So they no-seum, aren't the same yep. thing is what you're saying? No, and oh. biting midges are what our midges are what we're seeing now, and I don't know if people call minute pirate bugs biting midges, or we have what are they called chironomid midges, and they're the ones that we see around our lakes, and they come out. They look like mosquitoes. They sound like mosquitoes. The males have feathery antennas, but they don't bite. And the midges, they do not have chewing mouth parts. I know they're suspected of damaging turf and garden plants, but they're really not capable of doing that because they can't uh, bite. And they're short-lived and usually not lasting more than a week or so. So I'm guessing maybe biting midge is a name that people will apply to, um, I don't know, maybe even to buffalo gnats or turkey gnats or black flies or... I believe some people will call those um, uh, noceums, minute pirate bugs, they will call them punkies. And some, they're an insidious bug is another name for them, so they have a lot of different names. And that's uh, the problem with so many things is uh, if you move around the country a little bit, all of a sudden you're dealing with a completely different uh, common name. For a lot of the insects and uh, oh, flowers are notorious for that. Uh, Alden Gran of Glenville sent me a nice photo of a mother hairy woodpecker feeding her babies. So it was uh, pretty neat to see. Brian Weller. Brian lives uh, outside Wasika, and he said uh, he's seeing loons on southern Minnesota Lake, and he sent me one, a photo of it, not the loon. Uh, and he said, how often do you see them here? You know, there was a, there probably still is an outfit called Biodiversity Research Institute. It's based in Maine, and they led a three-year effort to restore loons to southern Minnesota. So they released five loons in 2014, nine more in 2015, and then they were going to do enough in 2016 to make uh, 25 total. And they took loon chicks from our northern lakes where they hatched. And after eight weeks, they were old enough to have been raised by their parents, but young enough. So they hadn't really formed an attachment to their birthplace. So they brought them down here and let them go. And that's all I know. I've not heard anything more about that. So it's uh, pretty neat, Brian, hearing that uh, something is being seen. It just, everybody here, you know, we all, you know, we just get goose pimples when we think, boy, having a loons here in southern Minnesota, you know, that'd be, be just wonderful. 
Uh, Rick Mammel. Rick lives in Albert Lee. He says, peonies at last. And I know some folks say peonies, <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a peony guy. And he said, I was wondering if we would ever have temperatures warm enough to get them to bloom the land of 10 good months of ice skating and two of slush. <laughs> Once off crutches last summer, I dug them up and reset them in a more shallow depth to encourage blooming. And um, so he's he's getting some. He said, I cannot boast very much, and I'm way behind weeding around them, but at least they have behaved according to plans. If any of you have peonies and refuse to place any indoors because ants love them too, simply plunge the entire flower head into a pail of water to remove the ants. You will then be in fat city. <laughs> uh, Jack and Rita Corman of Alden sent me a bunch of photos of Oh, I don't know how many monarch butterfly caterpillars on milkweed. She said, uh, or Jack and Rita said, there's so many we're almost afraid to go outside. So what a neat, uh, that's really neat to hear. Thank you. Uh, Tim Scott sent me a photo of an acorn woodpecker that's going around on on the Internet, and it's admiring its stash in a granary tree. So they gather acorns, these woodpeckers, and we don't have them here in Minnesota, but they will stuff them in a tree. And so this, uh, there's, the tree is just filled with holes where they're stuffing these woodpecker acorns. And it's a pretty innocuous image, this stashing of food supply, but it made the Internet rounds, and Twitter users expressed revulsion, which I know is really odd for Twitter users to do that, but... They weren't reacting to the bird or the acorns, but to the set of holes in which the bird was storing its treasure. Uh, Clustered in irregular patterns, the holes were triggering a condition called trypophobia, which I don't think is a real phobia, but it's going to probably become one. And there was a study published in 2018 in the journal Cognition and Emotion. Oh, I bet that's a page-turner there. Uh, Scientists argued that the phobia evolved in response to disease. After all, the clusters of holes look like lesions or bumps or pustules caused by ancient infectious diseases. Uh, Pustules just sounds, every time I hear that word, I just, oh, you get, ew. And, uh, oh, like smallpox. And so it, a certain portion of the population will have an aversion to seeing something like this. And I think maybe uh, trypophobia is an evolutionary advantage by helping those folks avoid the deadly illness in others. So um, the rest of us, we just, dumb enough, we just move right in and say, hey, how you doing when we see something like that? Well, these folks kind of say, you, and go away, and then they survive, and we perish in the plague, I guess is the, the moral of that story. Uh, TJ, Tom Jessen of Medelia, sent me a number of photos. He said there's a huge cormorant rookery on an island at Cicada Lake State Park saw it Sunday, and it looks like a rough estimate puts a number at about 300 nests, and these are double-crested cormorants. Uh, Barry Thompson of Hanska said, we saw two sandhill cranes near Hanska Saturday evening. It's only the second time in my life I've spotted them in this neighborhood, and that's really cool. I love seeing sandhill cranes. The young ones, again, are called colts, and they are 
Oh, I just I love their song. I do a breeding bird survey, and I usually see them some years. All I do is hear them, and it's one of those where if I hear them, it's, it's just as good as seeing them. I just love that call I make, and I wish I could do it, but I, I, I drove um, a long distance once in a car uh, trying to accomplish that, uh, that call, and I could not do it, so I've, I've retired from that. It's, I, I heard the rattle of a belted kingfisher along a dredge ditch not far from, from the house here. And uh, part of its scientific name is Elcyon. And Elcyon is an alternative form of Halcyon. Oh. In Greek mythology, Halcyon was uh, a daughter of the god of winds. And uh, she and her uh, boyfriend uh, just ticked off Zeus, which was pretty easy to do. Zeus was mad at everybody pretty much all the time, and he did bad things to him. So uh, he sunk the ship that the boyfriend was on, and Halcyon was so grief-stricken that she dove into the ocean. While the other gods, they were the ones that uh, usually were the ones that said, oh man, Zeus, he really shouldn't have done that, but we don't want to tick him off either. So what they did is they changed Halcyon into a kingfisher. So each winter in that part of the world, her father, who was the god of winds, calmed the winds briefly so Halcyon could incubate her eggs on the beach in peace. And this is where we derive the expression Halcyon days, meaning a time of peace, joy, and success. I listen to a yellow-billed cuckoo's hollow, wooden-sounding, croaking call it often gives in response to loud noises. So it's tendency it has a tendency to call it the sound of thunder, and that's led to its colloquial name, the rain crow. It's a prodigious eater of caterpillars, and it generally produces this guttural call on the hot, muggy days tending to engender thunderstorms. And my father would use that to his benefit. We'd be working haying or something, and we'd hear the rain crow, and my father said, we're going to have to kick this into high gear because it's going to rain. And So uh, he got a lot more work out of us because of the rain crow. I'm seeing young European starlings everywhere, Canada goose goslings everywhere that young European starlings aren't. Uh, starlings will incubate the eggs for 12 days. The nestlings fledge in uh, 21 to 23 days, probably. There uh, may be a second brood. Canada geese incubate their eggs from 25 to 30 days, and the goslings leave the nest quickly. It's one brood. This is the difference between precocial, which Canada geese are, and altricial. Because, boy, the Canada geese, they get out of the nest right away. The starlings have to spend a lot more time in the nest. The secret is the precocial ones, the Canada geese, there's like precocious, they get up and run right away. They spend a lot more time developing in the egg. So the starlings incubate eggs for 12 days, Canada geese 25 to 30. So by the time Canada geese hatch, they're much more developed than a starling. I'm seeing many dead deer on the roads. I bet everybody is. Uh, I I would guess many are yearlings that are pushed away when their mothers uh, are about to drop fawns, so they chase them away. 
I've watched a mother groundhog, woodchuck, or whistle pig, whatever you want to call them. She was up in a tree. She was eating mulberry leaves. Groundhogs love mulberry leaves. They eat them with such gusto, it makes you want to go grab some and throw a little French dressing on them and maybe some croutons in there and have But she has seven kits on the ground feeding on Dutch clovers and dandelions, and they're, they're, they're cute little guys, and they're just uh, devouring. They're like Canada geese mowing the lawn. These little guys are out there mowing only. I don't know how much grass they're eating. It seems that they're eating most of the other things. And, again, I know they like Dutch clover, which a, a lot of folks will call white clover, and uh, some people have other names for it as well. I I want to mention a pelican breeze again, uh, and the reason I'm mentioning this more than I do most years is uh, Verlaine Williams, who is uh, typically the one that uh, promotes this, and she's still doing it, but she has some health issues, and then sadly she lost her uh, daughter to cancer, oh. which was uh, just a devastating thing, as as might be expected. So. I, I told her that I would uh, mention a little bit more often. She said she did such a wonderful job. I, didn't, I never had to mention it. But we're doing a cruise this Sunday at 1.30. That's June 23rd. If anybody would be interested, we go out on Albert Lee Lake on the Pelican Breeze 2. It's, a, I guess, a huge pontoon is a way to best uh, identify it. And uh, we've been doing this for many, many years. We uh, wore out one boat, and we're on our second boat now. So if anybody's interested, it's a 507 number, but 383-7273, 383-7273. And you can also uh, find information online. I believe it's pelicanbreeze.org. If you go on there, you will find it. And it's a, a boat that we're trying to... Um, well, not not only promote natural uh, things in nature, but um, clean water is the big thing we're doing there. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I've had uh, uh, just wonderful times floating around on that boat, and and Gail sent a, a video, and I cannot open it. And I can't I so either. Sorry. Yeah, it's a, apparently yeah. it's a bird, and she wanted to know what it was and what the song was, and. We tried to open it here on our computer, so I'm sorry, Gail, but maybe if you can email it to me and then I can email it to Al, we could try that. I seem to have trouble with, uh, like, zip files and things. Yeah. I don't know know enough about what to do with those things. On my end, it's probably operator error, so I'm just going to say that right out. (laughs) It could be me. Usually all I do is just go, ah doesn't work and that's pretty much all i know about it but uh i gail i would love to to have a shot at uh, determining what your bird is and i know uh tim martin just got a hold of me and she said i have this bird in my yard that it it just sings all the time and uh, i i don't know i sent her a couple possibilities first off i think of gray catbird they are marathon singers. Oh, One yes. starts outside our bedroom window at four every morning, and he <laughs> sings pretty much all day. They're like the mockingbirds of the north. Uh, brown thrashers can do that for part of the year. 
uh, American robins, uh, certainly for part of the year. Uh, red-eyed vireo is another one that uh, sings, Here I am, where are you? Here I am, where are you? My dad called them preacher birds. Uh, to me, they sound like they're counting leaves, 32, 33, and they just go on and on and on. So that would certainly be some of the marathon singers. On some of our hot days, uh, indigo buntings uh, will sing for a, a long, long time. I love indigo buntings, and they uh, sing fire, fire, where, where, here, here, see it, see it. Why did they do and, it on uh, hot days is what I want to know. You know, does it, is it something about they're saying it's too hot, it's too hot, or does it cool them down? Because otherwise that, I would think it'd heat up, making all that fuss. I, I agree, and I remember being in Flandreau State Park in New Ulm one day, going for a walk, and there was hardly anybody out there because it was just, uh, it was beastly hot. And the birds were, uh, they were quiet, except for the indigo bunting. <laughs> and they were just singing, and so apparently they like warm weather. Hmm. And they they nest in brushy and weedy habitats on the edges of farm fields, woods, roads, uh, railroads. I see their nests in raspberry thickets, but also on uh, corn and ragweed plants some years. So they're they're pretty common. We see a lot of them when they're moving back into territory, and then they get busy with other things. So we don't see them at our feeders so much. Uh, Sue, oh, Freeborn County Engineer Sue asked me, do tanagers eat bees? She has bees. Uh, bees and wasps comprise the bulk of a summer tanager's diet. Hmm. The good thing is for beekeepers, summer tanagers are a rare summer visitor here. We see them maybe more in the fall or spring. Uh, the scarlet tanager, oh, summer tanagers. I watched one once, a guy called me and he had bees, and I came over and he said, watch this thing. It would snatch a bee, and then it would fly up to a branch and bludgeon the bee on the branch and then eat it. What we have here is the scarlet tanager. It's much more common. It does eat bees and wasps, but it isn't as noted for bee consumption as are the summer tanagers. I see the scarlet tanagers at feeders eating grape jelly, and they're eating um, oranges, and they'll eat a lot of other insects. They will hover in the air and catch bees and wasps. And they, I, I notice they don't seem to bludgeon them so much. They take them up to a branch and just kind of press the insect into the branch to kill them and then eat them. I, it, neither one sounds like a, a good a good diet, eating things that can sting you. But it, it so Sue, yeah, the real short answer: Do tanagers eat bees? Yes, yes, they do. And um, I hope not enough to uh, to make a problem. Our uh, Audubon Society, Alberta Audubon Society, we have a preserve. It's uh, located at the end of Oregon Street in Albert Lee. It's 12 acres with mowed paths, and it's free for anybody to go and walk. And I tell everybody when they go there, we have bees. And, Karen, we've put cage around the bees because uh, I think more to protect the bees than people. 
people, um, I don't know, they like to toss things in there. And uh, I know a lot of times it's it's young boys, because I was one, you know, we did idiotic things, and then we grew up, and, well, and we continue to do idiotic things. But <laughs> when and when we're boys, I don't know what we're thinking sometimes, or maybe we're not. So we put a cage around it, because we have uh, beehives, and they're doing very, very well there. So And uh, we have Paul as our guy, he's our bee guy. And we produce honey, and it's a neat thing to take kids from schools and uh, 4-H and various things like that out and show them the whole process. Well, what kind of cage? Bees. What kind of cage? Do you mean like a bird cage, or what kind of cage are you talking about? It's a uh, steel fence oh. that goes around them. Yeah, okay. and we we don't want anybody getting too close ah. and being stung or gotcha. climbing over it because. Again, I'm not speaking for all boys, just from past experience <laughs> of my own. You know, we're going to do stuff like that. I remember as a kid, we'd go over to Joe Holland's. Larry Holland was three years older than me. And we'd go over there, and they had an old, like, Model A or Model T or something out there, and bees were nesting in it, and then yellow jackets nested in it. So we would have to go over and torment what was ever nesting in there, and invariably we ended up getting stung, and we'd say, boy, we learned our lesson, we're never doing that again. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we didn't learn anything. We were right back there, you know, throwing mud, rocks at them or something, and, and ended up getting stung again, so... We were just slow learners. Everybody always said, you know, you make a mistake, you learn from your mistakes. I'm going to say not necessarily. There's times where we didn't really learn anything. But I, I guess I have now. If I see an old Model A or Model T and there's something nesting in there, I'm probably going to look at them, but I'm certainly not going to throw rocks at them. So <laughs> I, I, have learned, I have learned a bit. There are so many wonderful things to see out. We're seeing a lot of butterflies. Minnesota has, uh, I believe, 146 species now, they say, regularly occurring in the state. And approximately 170 total that we might see here. I believe Iowa has 118 and uh, Wisconsin has 150. So we have quite a few here in Minnesota, and they're great things to see. We have uh, so many different plants that are used. Um, butterflies use nettles. Nettles are host plants for the caterpillars of uh, boy, Milbert's tortoise shell. Red admiral, which is a very common one here, question mark, eastern comma butterflies. They all make use of, um, and this would be stinging nettles. Uh, some Did you call it itchweed when you were growing up, Karen? Mm, some... No, we called them nettles. Yeah, yeah, same here. And I, but I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, that's itchweed." No, never heard and, of that. Uh, yeah, and it will make you itch a little bit, I guess. I oh, know and when it I'm hurts too. Shorts. I mean, it just doesn't itch. It actually, I mean, it stings. It hurts. <laughs> it's odd because my wife will get. I, if she needs some pulled, I pull them by hand because they don't bother my hand. Oh, you're but kidding. If I bump them by, Oh. No, if I bump them against my leg, then I notice that, and right away I can tell that if I, I probably shouldn't have done that. Barely touch them, Al. I mean, I've I've been weeding, and all of a sudden there I'll accidentally touch one, and my my hand swells up, and it just hurts and hurts. So it must be something about your level of allergies or something, or your immune system. I have no idea what that would be called, but it it hurts me. <laughs> my dad. Uh, we we were doing some tiling on the farm many years ago, and the 
dad gave me to the guy as an indentured servant to help <laughs> tile. Yeah. Because then they took it off the bill, and I, I'd follow this guy around because dad said just, you know, do whatever he does, oh, and no. then you'll get along fine. So I'd follow him like a dog, and and we're walking over the electric fence, and we step over it, only he would reach down and just grab the electric fence and then step over it. So I thought, well, it can't be working. So I came up and grabbed it, and holy mackerel, I'm sure sparks flew out of my ears. It was so hot. And uh, apparently he had something in his system where, uh, like an electric fence, didn't bother him. He could just step over it and grab it and... But, boy, I learned that I did not have that superpower. So I, it was good advice to follow somebody and do everything they do, I guess, up to a point. But do, it, do you know uh, what my dad used to say around the electric fence? He'd say, here, let's hold hands. <laughs> and I think somehow oh, the person yeah. on the end gets the shock. So if your dad would, you know, hold our hands and then he would hold on the fence. And somehow, I don't know how that works exactly, but the end person seemed to get like the worst shock. My dad did that. My <laughs> uncle did that. They all did it. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, you know, they talk about stupid dad jokes today. I said, man, <laughs> you just, you had to be on the end of an electric fence thing. And then you could talk about stupid dad jokes. And then they would laugh and laugh like it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, everybody. Gail, I look forward to getting that video from you. And we'll, uh, we'll, uh, put Sherlock Holmes on it and Say, hopefully we'll find out. Before you go, I, I got a, remember we had talked about Rich and his mosquito machine? Yeah. He says, I think it's helped with the mosquitoes, but not the gnats. So yeah, apparently but... it's better on mosquitoes. And I don't know if you saw it, you know, um, I'm going to leave shortly because it's Marilee Rickard's uh, memorial yeah. today. She passed away last week and I know you probably worked with her through the years because you've been yeah. here for over 30 years so um, I, and I'm sure you realize she had passed and I just didn't know if you had any I words did. about working with her or not perhaps. You know the best thing I can usually say about anybody is uh, she was a nice person and very kind and I don't know that uh, anybody can get any better than that so I appreciated her and I'm I'm sorry. I know she was uh, in that position to move on, and uh, we'll miss her. So mm-hmm. yeah, and it's in the Mankato paper today. Yeah, it is. There's a nice there's a nice uh, picture that it was. Uh, she actually, you know, this is the way to do it. You know, a lot of times people say all these really nice things at your funeral after you're dead, yeah. and you never hear it. Well, she decided she's in hospice. She knew. Well, what is the inevitable? So she actually held a farewell party at the Wow Zone. So that talks a little bit about that in the paper, and and so therefore she had all this opportunity to share stories and, and laugh with the people instead of wait till the funeral and then you know hear it yeah and i wish i could have made that we were we were or i was out of town anyway so well everybody uh keep her in your thoughts and i hope you all come to the food chain today um or the food chain the cafe that'd be a good name the lower on the food chain cafe at the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links, the special is always Heimlich Maneuver and gravies considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. I had a speaking job in Red Deer, Alberta, and I went to a cafe in that fine city. Um, sadly, I've already forgotten its name. 
there were three men seated at a table, each nursing a cup of coffee, and I asked if I might sit with them, adding that I didn't want to intrude or, or drink their coffee, and they welcomed me. And one said, you know, not many people want to sit with us. They asked me where I was from, and of course I proudly said, Minnesota. And one asked if we had rats in Minnesota, and I thought, oh no, we're going to talk about politics. But instead, the three fine fellows insisted Alberta was free of rats. Alberta has waged a lengthy and vigilant war against the rodents, and the province's Agricultural Pests Act had made it an offense for property owners not to eradicate every rat they encountered. Private citizens may not keep white rats, hooded rats, or any of the strains of domesticated Norway rats. White rats can be kept only by zoos, universities, colleges, and recognized research institutions in Alberta. There's a hotline to report rat sighting. I left, but I had the feeling they called that hotline the minute I left the cafe. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Um, thank you, um, Karen, as always, for your wonderful, wonderful company. Merrily, we'll miss you. Everyone, uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thanks, Al. Always great to chat with you. We'll be back again next week. Until then, happy bird watching. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.